if you're a Rangers fan, you know what happened last weekend. Even if you don't like baseball, uh, you, you were hard-pressed to miss one of the most talked-about hits in a long time in baseball. Of course, I'm not talking about when a bat hits a ball. I'm talking about second baseman Odor clocking Blue Jays Bautista for sliding in high in the eighth inning. It was crazy. I mean, even if you watched it on a replay like I did instead of live, uh, I mean, it, you know, Odor needs to know, if baseball doesn't work out, he could go into boxing, okay? <laughs> it was a solid hit. When he popped Bautista on the jaw, Bautista's sunglasses flew off, his helmet flew off. He didn't know what hit him. And you know what happened next. I mean, all the dugouts cleared, the benches cleared, both managers get ejected, and the Rangers won the game. Yeah. Of course, this weekend, I have to talk about gentleness. That's not funny. I obviously drew the short straw on this thing. Who wants to talk about gentleness? I mean, that's a word you're not gonna hear on Sports Center. That's a word you're not gonna hear in a business boardroom. That's a word you're not gonna hear in a leadership seminar. But it's one of the expressions of God's spirit in this series we're studying on Galatians 5. Galatians 5 says this, it says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, and one of the nine expressions of that fruit gentleness. This is a tough one. Who wants to talk about gentleness? Not Rangers fans. Not any men in the room. I think there's men that walked in today and they saw the topic and they went, of all the days to come to church, wake me up when this is over. Gentleness. I don't blame you guys. I mean, I looked up the word gentle on dictionary.com and it wasn't very encouraging. I got words like this, soft, sweet, calm, I looked up the word gentle on Google Images and it didn't get much better. I got things like this. <laughs> butterflies are gentle. The next picture is what do butterflies land on? Flowers. Flowers are gentle. Where do you see flowers? Nature walks. Nature walks are gentle and then to, to just kind of round out this Google Images word gentle, sleeping cats. <laughs> By the way, that's the only cat that I like is the one that's sleeping. But speaking of sleeping cats, is anybody asleep yet? <laughs> Gentleness. I can feel the pushback right now. I don't need this word. I don't want this word. We just say, you know what, I'm gonna run from gentleness. And no wonder with Google Images and dictionary.com telling us soft and sweet and calm things. And we run from this word and say, I don't wanna have gentleness, I'll reject it. But be careful, friends. Hold on before you check out and wake up at the end of the message. If you reject gentleness, what you're saying is, I don't want to be like Jesus. I want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew and let me show you why I just said that. In Matthew chapter 11, if you don't have a Bible, there's a place to follow along in your worship guide that you were handed when you came in, whatever campus you're on. Uh, also uh, a place to, to take notes if you'd like to. We have to talk about gentleness. We've gotta talk about this word because our relationships are in desperate need of gentleness. And Jesus describes himself as gentle. And as followers of Christ, we definitely want to be like Jesus. So look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11 in verse 28. Jesus said, come to me, 
I hope you hear that today, and I pray that's a choice that everyone listening to me makes. Come to Jesus. Just like we sang a moment ago, come just as you are, just as you are to him. He says, come to me all, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Then he says, take my yoke upon you. And in other words, link up with me. Latch your life to mine. Connect to me. Let's become one. Link up with me. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Because I am humble and, here it is, gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And that word gentle that Jesus uses here to describe himself is the same word found in Galatians 5. This is an expression of his spirit working within us. You see, I believe the reason why we push back on the word gentleness is we really don't understand it completely. Is it calming? Yes. Does it have a soft side to it? Of course. But when the Greeks heard this word gentle, they had a whole different word picture than we do. The word gentleness, when you said that word, they thought about the taming of a wild horse. A wild horse like this one. It's it's powerful, it's strong. This, this wild horse, it, 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 ha, it does whatever it wants to do, goes wherever it wants to go, is having a great time, no restraint, but if this horse would just trust someone, trust someone enough to come alongside, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, are you tired? This is a true picture of gentleness. It's still used today by horse trainers, the gentling of a horse. Now listen, the horse is still gentle. It's not docile, not timid. This horse is fierce, strong, passionate, powerful. But the horse has been gentled because the power of that horse is harnessed and focused. That is what Jesus is saying. And that's what Galatians 5 is saying when it's talking about gentleness. Now with that word picture in mind, here's my favorite definition of gentleness. Gentleness at its core really is the power of your potential under God's control. You see, the only way to reach your full potential is for you to be willing to surrender control of your life and trust Jesus enough to say, I'm gonna let you control this life called my life. And I'm gonna come up under that and my potential will be reached when it's under your control. You see, another way to ask yourself, am I a gentle person, is to ask, what areas of my life are under God's control? And what I want us to do today is look at seven areas that we need to put under God's control so that our potential can be reached as we come under his control and we take the yoke of Christ upon us. Now it happens to be the word control, I've used that as an acrostic, but these seven areas can change every relationship that you have if you are gentle and come under God's control with them. So here's the first one. The first one is character. Let's talk about character, character traits. I wanna spend the most time on this one because I believe it has the most potential to make or break every relationship, listen to me. As a matter of fact, just think about it. Character traits can make or break all your relationships. Think about the character traits that you like in people. If I said, what are some positive character traits? You may think of words like humble, honest, integrity, compassion, sense of humor, things like that. But if I asked you, name some negative character traits, you would also have a list, probably even longer. Irresponsible, you know, uh, rude, has a temper, always arrogant, they're a gossip, you know, they're selfish, they're, um, you know, disrespectful, words like that. And, and, And if we're all honest, we have character traits that we need to put under God's control. And here's the good news. 
Jesus befriends people before they have it all together. You need to come to him so that you can learn gentleness, not when you become gentle. You see, Jesus' closest friends, read through the Gospels, Peter, James, and John, right? Were those guys perfect? No. Did they have character flaws? Absolutely. Remember Peter? Peter was always putting his foot in his mouth. He was always impulsive. He was always you know, saying things before he thought about him. He was always, hey, I've got the right answer this time, and it wasn't the right answer. Remember, Peter was the one that cut off the guy's ear in the Garden of Gethsemane. Hey, Jesus, let me help you out. Watch that. Look at there. Peter was the one that denied Jesus three times before he thought about the implications of what he said. James and John weren't any better. James and John always argued about who was the most important, who was gonna sit next to Jesus when his kingdom came on earth. It really wraps up in Luke chapter nine. You can see this because Jesus is going toward Jerusalem. He knows he's gonna die for the sins of the world, for your sins and my sins, and he's going toward Jerusalem and he needs to stop for the night. And so he comes up to a village and this town comes out to meet him and rejects Jesus. Basically says to Jesus and his disciples, we do not want you to come to our town. We reject you, we don't want you to come to this village. Well James and John, notice how much work they they have to do here, but in Luke chapter nine, let me put this on the screen for you, verse 54, here's how that news affects them. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up right now. (laughs) Have you ever uh, felt that way? Let me just take care of this right now, okay? No one may exist after I take care of it, but who cares? That's what James and John are saying. Let's just blow this up. They're losers, obviously. Jesus, forget them. Never look back. I love what Jesus says to them after this kind of reaction. In verse 55, Jesus says, Jesus turned and he rebuked them. He rebuked James and John. This word rebuke here is the same word that is used that describes how Jesus calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee when he rebuked the wind and the waves. Same thing he's doing with James and John. He's saying, calm down. Hey, let me get a hold of this harness. Whoa, on these horses, guys. You're going in the wrong direction on this one. Hold on. Take my yoke upon you. James and John, let me teach you. Let me show you what it's like to be gentle. And the beautiful thing is Jesus does that with us as well. The same passage, Luke chapter nine, Jesus actually gets fed up and he says, how long am I gonna have to put up with you? Moms of preschoolers, have you ever asked that question? How long am I gonna have to put up? Uh, Parents of teenagers, have you ever asked that question? How long am I gonna have to put up with you? Dads of rebellious sons, moms of free-spirited daughters, have you ever said, how long am I gonna have to The beautiful thing is Jesus gives us the picture that we should have when we look at people. There's always hope. We're all works in progress. And Jesus didn't give up on Peter, James, and John. He kept with them. And he said, if you'll just be honest about where you're at with your character traits, take my yoke upon you and let me teach you how to be gentle. And what happened is they did just that. And from the inside out, Peter and James and John, they changed And they changed the world. Look back at church history. Peter, James, and John are three pillars of Christianity itself because Jesus never gave up on them. He never gives up on us unless don't give up on others. Here's what I want you to do sometime today or sometime this week. Just make a list, would you, of the character traits in your life that need to change. Just just think about the things in your life and your character that need to change. If you can't think of anything, ask your spouse, they'll make you a list, okay? No, no, never mind, don't do that. Then we'll have to do a marriage series all summer. So seriously, just you 
you write down, you know what, I really need to work on this. And once you get that list, take it to God and say, God, would you help me with this? This needs a change in my life. Because a gentle person is someone whose character comes up under God's control. And then this is what happens. Then their outlook changes. That's the second area. All of a sudden, they see people in a different way. They see people in a different light. You see, a gentle person doesn't walk around just thinking about themselves. When God starts changing your character, he changes your outlook. And all of a sudden, it's not about you anymore, what you wanna do, when you wanna do it, where, you know, all of these things, it's, it's about others. How are they feeling? What are they going through? Do I understand and empathize with them? The scripture tells us to do this in Philippians chapter two. It says this, it says, don't look only for your, for, out for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Your attitude should be the same as Christ. He is the model for us. He looked down and saw our need and he humbled himself to bridge the gap between the Father and us. And it was to our, he was interested in us. He, he wanted to understand us and he saw our need and he responded to that. And we should have the same attitude as we come up under God's control. We see the people in our home and in our life completely different and it moves us to this place, the third area, to actually become nurturing. To actually see needs and care for others and be encouraging and approach people with tenderness at times. Now I'm already feeling the pushback from the men, okay? And you're all like, I am not doing the nurturing thing, okay? Because it sounds weak, doesn't it? Maybe you're thinking, you know, that's what moms do. I'm a man. I fix things. I make people do things, okay? I want you to think about how powerful moms are. And then maybe, guys, we're gonna be ready to be more nurturing. Let me see if I can get all the men back on the gentleness track with me, okay? There's a man movie called The Revenant that came out last year. It's a true story about a, an explorer named Hugh Glass who was hunting out in the unexplored and unter, uh, uncharted territory of the American wilderness. And one time he was out in the woods and this actor, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio is kind of portraying this. All of a sudden he sees two baby cubs come out of the woods. These two children bears come out of the woods and this hunter knows what's gonna happen next. He gets his gun ready. He cocks the gun because he knows mom's very close. And he hears something behind him, and before he can swing his gun around, that grizzly jumps out of the, you know, just right up on him, gets him, puts him in the ground, and messes him up, okay? That's why it's a man movie, because it's like hard to watch. You're like, whoo, whoa, yeah, this is crazy. I mean, that mom just mauling this guy and just pounces on him and leaves him for dead. And then if you watch this movie, then all of a sudden the mom goes over and plays with her kids. Like, hey, how are you doing? You know, just kind of, she's just real tender with them. That's nurturing. Gentleness is powerful. Do I have every man's attention? Gentleness is powerful. And what gentleness can do when you nurture, instead of, and I, I'm guilty of the same thing, guys. I, you know, I'm a hammer, everything has to be a nail. And I'm just gonna, that's how I'm gonna approach everything. But here's the question Are you fierce towards your kids? Are you fierce for your kids? There's a big difference. It's why Jesus could go in and clear out the temple and throw over all the tables of the money changers with a whip and say, get out of here, and then turn and say, come to me, I am gentle. It's the same idea. Because what happens when you become nurturing is you realize the power of gentleness and what a force it is. Here's how Paul describes it, is he also follows the example of Christ in 1 Thessalonians. He says, hey, we didn't try to get praise from anyone either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have made demands on you. 
but we were gentle when we were with you, like a mother taking care of her children. What's he saying? Paul says, we could have come down on you. We could have demanded from you. We could have reminded you who we were and the authority we had, but we chose a different way. What Paul's saying is, is I could have got some things done if I just demanded it, if I just enforced it. But instead, I realized I could get to the same outcome and your heart would be more open if I was just encouraging to you. If I just stepped back and I was gentle and tender and I affirmed you. You see, nurturing and gentleness is a force. And if we can just step back and realize that, we realize the power that we have. Even in this, this next area of just talking. The power of our words. This is the fourth area that needs to come under God's control. What we say, gentleness harnesses the power of words, puts your talk under God's control so that what you say and how you say it and when you say it and the tone of your voice and the timing of the conversation is all under God's control and gentleness blesses a relationship with words. Here's how Ephesians 4, 32 says it this way. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And so moms and dads and husbands and wives and friends, let's just ask ourselves this question based on this verse. Do our words help people? Are our words building others up in our lives or are our words tearing them down? Do our words actually benefit people who just happen to overhear the conversation that we're having with another person. You see, the power of words is what a gentle person realizes. A gentle person knows their words have power. I love this prayer of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 32. May this be our prayer today as moms and dads, husbands and wives and friends when it comes to our words. Moses says, let my teaching fall on you like rain. Let my speech settle like dew. Watch this. Let my words fall like rain on tender grass, like gentle showers on young plants. You see, the question is very simple today. Are your words like a gentle shower on a spring afternoon? Are your words like a severe thunderstorm with golf ball-sized hail, okay? Because a gentle person knows the power of words in both ways. Unharnessed, careless words are powerful to destroy relationships, but a powerful, timely word in the right tone, in the right way, in the right time to benefit another person's needs has power and force that we can't even imagine. You see, it goes along with this next area, and that is just response. The fifth area is how are you going to respond? What are you going to say? And, and I hope this may help you, but, but men in the room, and ladies too, don't say the first thing that comes to your mind. When someone frustrates you or disappoints you, don't say, well, I, don't say the second thing that comes in your mind either, okay? This may help you today. When somebody disappoints you, frustrates you, or is, is you know, tempted to make you angry, think before you speak. You're welcome. You can change your life. I don't do it all the time, I have to admit, and when I don't, I really mess up the relationship. But when I do, here's what I do. Before I, before I react, especially when I'm disappointed or frustrated, before I email back, before I text back, before I talk back, I think about how it sounds, and I play it in my mind, and then I go, that's not gonna be very helpful right now. Proverbs 15, verse one, says it this way. It says, a gentle answer quiets anger, but a harsh one stirs it up. 
You see, what this verse is saying is you can't control how they're gonna say it to you, what they're gonna say to you, or how angry they may, may seem, but you can 100% choose how you respond to what they say. So when people disappoint you and they discourage you and they frustrate you, how are you gonna respond to that? A gentle person lets God control that situation so they respond in the right way. That response is a force. I love the story in 1 Kings chapter 19 about Elijah. Elijah was a great prophet of God and he was very successful. One day, he, he literally took out 450 prophets of Baal in one day. It's great success, but he also had great failures. Because it says right after that, he, he ran from one person. A woman named Jezebel was chasing him and he got so scared, he ran away and he hid in a cave. And the Bible says in 1 Kings 19 that God came to Elijah while he was in the cave and said, Elijah, what are you doing in the cave? To which Elijah got an attitude. Elijah started complaining to God. Elijah said, you know what? I've done all this stuff for you and I'm tired. And I don't wanna do it anymore. I've had enough of this. You know what God's response was? Elijah, I want you to come out of that cave and go stand over there by that mountain. Now, I don't know about you, but if I disappointed God and God said, go stand over there by that mountain, I would be stressed out. I'd be wondering what's coming next. Surely Elijah was a little stressed, what's God gonna say to me? You know, Elijah's probably thinking God's gonna come and say, Elijah, I am so disappointed in you. After all the things I've done for you and all the success I've given you, what are you doing? Maybe he thought God was gonna come to him and say, Elijah, you know what, what's wrong with you? Maybe he thought God was gonna come and say, Elijah, why don't you trust me? After everything I've brought you through, are you, are you kidding me? This is how you're going to respond? Maybe Elijah thought God was gonna come and say, listen, you're so timid and you're so weak, I don't think I can use you anymore. But that's not what happened. The Bible says as he stood there on that mountain before the Lord that a mighty wind came and the wind was so forceful that it literally broke rocks off the mountain and they tumbled down around Elijah but God wasn't in the wind. And then it says an earthquake came and it quaked and it shook the mountain and it shook the feet of Elijah as he was standing on shaky ground, but God wasn't in the earthquake. Then it says a consuming fire came and swept down the mountain and all around Elijah, but it says God wasn't in the fire. And then it said a gentle whisper came to Elijah and God was in the whisper. Isn't that beautiful? God was in the whisper. You see, Elijah thought a big fist was about to come down from heaven and knock him out. But instead, a gentle whisper came and spoke to him gently. See, the, the same way God responds to us, if you feel like you've let God down today or disappointed him, maybe you thought you would come to him today, but he'd have clenched fists towards you. But he doesn't have clenched fists, friend. He's got open arms, and he loves you, and that's how he responds to us. And if you get your response under God's control, that's how you can respond to other people as well. You see, the question you wanna ask yourself is, is, what do you do when people disappoint you? Are you an earthquake? Are you just shaking people up? Are you a consuming fire that just sweeps through the house and burns everything down and then goes, now what was the problem? Or are you a gentle whisper? Because gentleness is a force. Gentleness is what we all need to strive for and gentleness is what we're called to do. Ephesians chapter four, verse two says it this way. Always be humble, always be gentle. Be patient with each other making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. 
You see, when you start allowing your potential to get under God's control, God starts changing you from the inside out and your relationships start to change because you start seeing the opportunities and that's the sixth area. You start seeing the opportunities God's given you to be a blessing, seeing the opportunities where gentleness is a force and and where all of a sudden you can bless others around you. You start seeing the fact that God has placed in your life the ability to be a blessing with gentleness in your home, in your office, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Snapchat, that you're able to bless others as this expression of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, gentleness changes you and others. Philippians chapter four, verse five says it this way. It says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And every day, if you would just ask yourself, and I would encourage you to wake up every day and say, God, show me the opportunities. Show me the ways to be a blessing. And then as he shows you those, something you could say right here, something you could do right here, a way you could serve right here, how you could help someone right here. You see those just whispering to yourself, God, is this that moment? Is this that opportunity? Because I know you're near, literally that, that phrase means Jesus is coming soon. And I, I, Lord, I just want my gentleness to be evident to all. Do you see those opportunities when they come? For instance, most of you have already heard the announcement that this is Child Sponsorship Weekend. You've already heard that you have the possibility to sponsor a child in Egypt and, or Mexico or Africa. Have you asked God, is this your opportunity to help a kid overseas? You see, I, I haven't had the privilege to go to Egypt, but I, I've been to Africa. I've seen the need. I've met these kids. I've seen the need, there's no running water, there's no electricity, there's one doctor for every 189,000 people. I've seen the fact that the average household is about 18 people making less than a dollar a day per household. Have you thought about the fact that this could be an opportunity for your gift? I mean, literally, a few dollars, just a few dollars could change this kid's life? This may be that unique opportunity where you, you could change a kid's life. And here's the unique thing about this particular emphasis today. You could go meet these kids. You could go see these kids, because they all have a name. They're all beautiful. And you could say, hey, I just wanna hug you because I've been sending money, and you can see their bright smiles. And you can see the love in their eyes, and you can see the wells, and and see the uniforms, and, and, and see the schools, and go to the churches that are ministering to these children. What if this is your opportunity to change someone's life? You see, this is real personal to me. Because as some of you know, my family and I, we decided that an opportunity for us was, is not just to sponsor a child, which we do, but to adopt one. Our fourth son is from one of the villages that you can help today. His story is like everybody's story over there. Every kid has a story, they have a name, and his story is, is not unique, but, but it's just his story. His dad died when he was two years old. His mom abandoned him, told him, I'm going to the market, never came home when he was three years old. His grandmother, who was trying to raise him, was going blind. He had malaria twice. He was malnourished. He was starving. And God just let our family say, this is an opportunity. This is what we're supposed to do. And we brought him into our life. And listen, we haven't changed his life. He's changed our life. He's taught us so much. He really has. And that was years ago. Now, fast forward. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. It was just an opportunity before us, and God, is this our opportunity? And we took it, but fast forward. So last week, uh, my son's name is Eli. Eli texts me, and he says, hey, Dad, guess what? I've got a full page in the yearbook because they were so inspired by the story. A freshman at Bowie High School gets a whole page in the yearbook, 3,000 copies of this thing at Bowie High School there in Austin. Let's give it up for Eli. That's amazing, yeah. 
<laughs> I love you, son. I'm proud of you. That's amazing. Everybody at Austin campus, love you guys as well. Listen, uh, Eli will be selling copies of, signed copies of this yearbook <laughs> after the service. No, that's not the action point. The action point is, is that you can go help a kid like Eli. No, hear, hear me, please hear me clearly. I, I don't believe everyone needs to go adopt a child from somewhere. But I do believe that Many people listen to me. I believe most people listen to me at this campus, every campus, and over the internet. You can sponsor a child. You can change a kid's life. This could be an opportunity where you say, God, is this the power of my potential under your control with what you've given me to change someone else's life? And this could be an opportunity for you to go to a booth here in this room after the service and say, you know what, I'm signing up. I'm gonna do this. And listen, we don't have the picture of the kid because we don't wanna tell a kid they're gonna get sponsored. We wanna go tell a kid they have been sponsored. So you have to wait a little bit for your commitment to really meet this kid. You can go see him in person on a mission trip, but they're real kids. And what would happen if you took this opportunity? What would happen, not just if you, but if a lot of people listen to me? What would happen if an entire church, potential of that church came under God's control? Not just with this initiative, but you know what would happen with a church that gets under God's control and says, God, we just surrender everything and we wanna trust you. We wanna trust you with everything. What happens is what we're seeing happen. Ladies and gentlemen, we can and we are and we will change the world one community at a time. You see, the question I wanna close with is just this last area and that is, will you let Christ lead? Will you let him lead your life? Will you let him lead your family? Will you let him lead your marriage? Will you let him lead your kids, will you let him lead in your business? Will you let him lead in your friendships? Because if you do, you'll change the world. If you do, more than you can imagine can happen. And you see, you need to choose to do that because Jesus saw the opportunity 2,000 years ago to help you. 2,000 years ago, he looked down on this earth and knew he knew that we couldn't get to heaven on our own. So he came and he humbled himself even to death on a cross and he died with you in mind and he rose again on the third day. And I want you to see his nail-pierced hand reaching out to you today and saying, come to me, come to me. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you how to be gentle. Are you tired? Are you tired of running around doing what the world's saying you should do, what culture's saying to you? Come to me, harness that potential I've given you and you cannot imagine what's about to happen. The scripture says it this way in Ephesians, God can do anything far more in your home and in your life and in your relationships far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. But he does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. I wanna encourage you to go back and look at one of these seven areas and say, God, that's the area, just pick one, say that's the area, please help me with that this week. And it'll change you and it'll change everyone around you. Please hear me, gentleness may not win baseball games, but it will definitely help you win in your relationships. Let's pray about that. Heavenly Father, we bow now before you and, and we, we just wanna thank you for your gentleness toward us. We wanna thank you for you sending your son to die for us Help us 
to be gentle toward others this week in our relationships. I pray that you would help anyone listen to me at this campus or, or any campus or over the internet, help anyone who's never trusted you to do that today, to come to you and really realize that their potential will never be realized until the, you're their savior and you are their Lord. For those of us who know you, give us the attitude of Jesus this week and help us to see the opportunities and help us to see the people around us as you see them. And thank you for what you're gonna do as we allow the force of gentleness to flow through us. And thank you for being gentle with us. Thank you for Jesus. We pray all this in his wonderful name, our savior, our friend, and our powerful God. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Let's give God a hand for his grace and his power in our lives.